0: Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA president, Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. 2020 was pretty much a write-off for face-to-face educational events and seminars. And while COVID is still with us, we are optimistic, quietly, about moving back into this space in 2021. The ACA, in fact, has three major events planned for this year. These include the Connecting Kids Symposium in July up in Brisbane, the Sports Chiropractic Symposium in Melbourne in August, and of course, the ACA Conference in Adelaide in October. Today, we're talking all things pediatrics, and I'm delighted to be joined by keynote speaker for the Connecting Kids Symposium, Dr. Joyce Miller. Now, Joyce is a semi-retired. She is a clinician and researcher and guest pediatrics researcher at the Anglo-European College of Chiropractic in Burnmouth, England. She previously worked full-time as lead tutor for the Masters of Science Musculoskeletal Health of Pediatrics, Undergraduate Pediatrics, and Evidence-Based Clinical Practice at AECC. An Associate Professor, she pioneered the busy infant and child practice teaching clinic approximately 25 years ago at AECC. She's a busy researcher and has authored more than 80 articles published in peer-reviewed journals and conducted over 180 seminars worldwide. Along with the Bournemouth University's midwifery team from the School of Health and Social Care, in 2013, she developed the AECC Breastfeeding Clinic located at the university campus. This is an interdisciplinary clinic where midwives and chiropractors, and of course students, manage difficult feeding cases together and learn together. She focuses on care of the neonate and infants, obtaining a PhD in musculoskeletal health of the infant in 2013. She has an undergraduate degrees in education and psychology and a postgraduate diplomat in chiropractic orthopedics. Recently, she authored a book, The Evidence-Based Chiropractic Care for Infants in 2019, and she co-edits the Journal of Clinical Chiropractic Pediatrics and continues to mentor graduate students. Hi, Joyce. Welcome to the ACA podcast.
1: Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me.
0: And all the way from the other side of the world in uh, Minneapolis, in this COVID uh, world we are living in, it must be hard to keep your uh, engagement with the uh, Anglo-European College of Chiropractic.
1: Well, I do my best and I do keep track of some of the master students. and, uh, And I also have some PhD students that I mentor as well
0: or well, at least I guess we have this type of technology. So you and I can be having this conversation uh, right now from the other side of the world. And of course, um, I guess that's, that's the way that you communicate with your students at the moment.
1: It is. I, it's just that I have office hours at uh, five o'clock in the morning. Both <laughs> yes. <days. laughs>
0: it does make it tricky, doesn't it? So to, perhaps we could start by just understanding a little bit about your background. Um, what was your motivation for becoming a chiropractor and, and what were your early years um, in practice like?
1: Well, like a lot of people, chiropractic was really my second uh, profession I I was actually an athlete and I was involved in sporting um, and sporting equipment early on and uh, until I sustained one of those devastating injuries and of course went everywhere did everything and my I'll never forget the day my staff uh, Shelley Nelson who is still a good friend of mine but was my uh, my lead assistant at the time basically picked me up put me in the car and took me to a chiropractor. And uh, I not only recovered, I had better performance than I ever had. And I realized that there was something to it. And um, so my personal life was falling apart. I got a divorce and I decided to go to chiropractic school and the rest is history. It's been a wonderful, uh, gratifying career for me. And I'm so grateful for it.
0: And so your early days, was that practice in the U.S. or were you practicing in the U.K. at that time?
1: No, I practiced in Green Bay, Wisconsin, the, the home of the Green Bay Packers.
0: Okay. And how did you make that transition then to be in, from the U.S. and uh, move over to uh, the U.K. To, to teach at the AECC?
1: Well, oddly, I had actually done I was doing also doing some work for Northwestern um, University of Health Science, uh, as well as having a private practice. And I happened to do some research in patient satisfaction, uh, which wasn't very cool at the time. I mean, remember, this was 30 years ago Mm -hmm. and um, and ended up uh, being luckily having it chosen for presentation in Bournemouth. Um, at one of their conferences and so I traveled there gave the presentation looked around and said why doesn't everybody live here (laughs) (laughs) turned out it was the only good week of weather that they've ever had (laughs) I see on the south coast of England
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes it's not usually a place known for its great weather that's for sure
1: no but I so I uh, I I it turned out there was a a college there which has since become a university college and I just walked up and said do you have any jobs available and uh, fortunately Kim Humphreys who has since become the lead of the Swiss school and is actually now a neighbor of mine, retired as well, uh, was able to meet with me and he found a place for me. And uh, of course, I had a lot of undoing to do in my career in the United States, but I wanted to give it a try. And uh, I did. And as they say, the rest is history. It was very exciting to move abroad and to um, get involved in in a whole different level of education. It was yeah, so, very exciting for me.
0: So, at that stage, were you um, heavy into pediatrics, or were you still, I guess, a you know lifespan type chiropractor?
1: Mm-hmm. I was lifespan, although I had done pediatrics in my practice, but. Um, in a small practice, a small but very busy practice, you see the whole entire family, of course. of course, and I was actually hired at AECC to revitalize their orthopedics program because they didn't have a diplomate in orthopedics. So I actually went to do that. And when I got done with that, which was pretty straightforward, I said, well, um, would you like me to revitalize your pediatrics program <laughs> because there wasn't too much going on? And they said, "Well, yes, of course." Uh, and uh, so, and I was I was a senior clinic tutor. I was in the clinic, so I had been a clinician my whole life. I'd been a clinician ten years before I moved there, and so I was a clinician. Uh, instructor there and started the pediatrics practice or really developed the pediatrics practice, which uh, at the time I'd left, we'd seen well over 80,000 pediatric patients.
0: Oh, my goodness. And so what year was that? That was, this was uh, back that was early. That
1: 1996,
0: early. 97. Right. Okay. And and when did, and it was obviously quite some time later that you then um, brought midwifery and chiropractic together, which I think is a wonderful match. My two favorite people: chiropractors and, and midwives.
1: You know, mine too, Anthony. <laughs> I was actually teaching the 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 environment for chiropractic care was very open and uh, collegial between medicine and chiropractic. In that in ver in the, in that environment, and we the the school and the university clinic was very well accepted and had a high referral rate and I was actually asked to go to the hospital and teach them about chiropractic pediatrics and what that involved because it it doesn't sound intuitive you know it yes. people aren't sure about it and I was teaching and one of the lead midwives there uh Allison Taylor came up afterwards and said you know I think we could work together and it's so funny because I had that exact same thought at the a moment before like why don't we join forces for babies who can't breastfeed because that's such a huge public health concern and so we did we developed a clinic I mean Allison and I we really developed the clinic I mean we ended up buying the chairs and you know we did what had to be done because we were so committed to this but it developed it flourished Uh, we had uh, very high rates of medical referrals all from the hospital because there was no place else for these you know if, if the local hospital midwives can't help at the time. And they've got so much on their plate. Their their requirements are so heavy and and extensive. Um, And so it turned out that a lot of these children, newborns were sent to us. And as a team, we were able to work together to coordinate our care and help them. And we did some research and we did some publishing in that area.
0: What a wonderful and fertile environment for uh, learning, for, for research and, and for collaboration. I think um, there's, it seems to be Europe's um, often a really good area, it would seem, where chiropractic and other health professions seem to mix very well. And I get the feeling that that's something that um, uh, maybe in Australia and uh, in the US we could do a little bit better.
1: Yes, the midwifery and the chiropractic students work together and learn together. And it was, it was simply the environment that they became accustomed to. And, I, and a lot of them went out and did the same thing after they graduated.
0: Fantastic. Now, I want to move on now to your research, which is prolific, but I've picked out just a, a couple of articles uh, to talk about. And, and firstly, um, to focus a little bit on uh, colic, which you've obviously done a number of projects in. Uh, your 2009 study looked at uh, the long-term effects of infantile colic. And I found this really interesting because so much of the research in colic is looking at, say, you know, reduced um, crying time over six weeks, 12 weeks, and so on. But uh, you looked a little bit longer than that. Tell us about that study.
1: Well, Anthony, I want to tell you, you were very clever to pick that out. That is the article that I am asked about more than any other. Um, and It is interesting because little known fact, infant colic isn't really 12 week colic. Well, it is about 30 to 50% of the time, but half of the time the problems go on long term and they've now have um, found that it's up to 11 years of age and who knows if if there are problems longer than that. And so what we did was we had always looked at colic as a short term and and we had found some success with that, but we decided to see what happened when the children became toddlers, because there's very good research that shows that babies who'd had colic growing into toddlerhood have more temper tantrums, don't sleep as well, don't go to sleep, don't stay asleep, and can't be put back to sleep. And so we found our some children that we had treated, and and with uh, colic successfully, and we sent out the the uh, forms to ask them how they were doing, and to relate the number of temper tantrums and so, so on. And we compared them with a group of children who had had colic but hadn't been treated. Uh, and lo and behold, we were shocked at the results that children were less than half as, if they had had chiropractic care for colic, they were less than half as likely to have recurring temper tantrums and sleep problems. We didn't believe the results because we thought this can't be true. You know, a good researcher always wants to find out the real answer. And we were afraid that we had a biased sample. Mm -hmm. So we uh, tightened up the procedure and we redid it again with um, A really tight sample and we found the exact same results. Wow. We, we trusted our research then.
0: And it wasn't a small, um, study. It was like 117 in the, um, chiro or the non-chiro group and 111 with chiropractic or something like that.
1: 128 children total. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow.
1: Now, of Uh, course it's not the highest quality study because you have to do randomized controlled trials, but there's, it's impossible to do that type of study if you want to do that kind of research because yes. there, it, it just simply can't be done. Yes. So this was the best kind of study we could do to answer that critical question.
0: Another study that you did, which was um, really uh, very, very important because a lot of the criticism that comes from the colic studies or the earlier colic studies were about blinding. Now, of course, you can't blind the chiropractor. He knows or she knows uh, the techniques that they're performing, uh, but you can blind the parents by taking the child away, which sounds obviously in practice like a terrible and unethical thing to do. But I guess um, to be certain whether the the parent actually viewing the procedure is making a difference. You actually went that extra um, mile and actually did blind the parents in this t- 2012 study.
1: Yes, we did blind the parents and then we compared the a group of children who were treated with the parents blinded and children who were treated without the parents blinded because you know, we've always had, and I think everyone has always had some niggling thought that blinding really doesn't matter, because these parents are basically blind. I mean, they're sleep deprived, they're exhausted, they've got, you know, poo on their collars. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, it's, it's it's a very tough position to be in. And so we decided we would actually study blinding. And it turns out the results are almost the same there was no statistical difference which showed that the blinding didn't matter and we actually said that other other studies should be looked at with it now interestingly in 2020 in the british medical journal they did a, a, a not that study of course but a similar study where they said the same thing blinding doesn't matter
0: wow and I guess that does validate a lot of the earlier studies, doesn't it? Where um, where the blinding wasn't uh, in play.
1: Yes, but we'll never get over this because um, as chiropractors, we are always going to have to do the highest quality research that we can. Yeah. And it's never quite good enough for exactly the reason you said, Anthony, the chiropractor cannot be blinded. So yes. it can never do a double blind study.
0: Yes. Um, Now, just there's obviously been quite a bit of uh, research into colic. Um, We're still we still seem to be at that point where it's it's not that the answer isn't absolutely definitive. Obviously, chiropractors who are working with Peds see those results all the time. But I'm I'm thinking of the Parnall Prevost systematic review Mm -hmm. that looked into um, what sort of presentations have that moderately positive or higher positive. Uh, level of evidence and we're there as far as low back pain pulled elbow and interestingly premature infants as far as their length of stay in in hospitals but uh, apart from those three others including colic are still at that inconclusive stage what do you think needs to be done in 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 order to to get it to that sort of moderately positive uh, level or, or will it will it potentially not get to that level
1: uh, well, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that we will never get to that level. Right. And the reason we will never get to that level is not because we're not successful, because everyone who treats colic babies and, and um, parents you know, swear by us (laughs) that, you know, they continually are grateful for the help and parents need help with this. And so hopefully we'll be able to continue to give the treatment, but until we successfully subgroup crying babies, we will never be able to do this. And the problem is colic is nebulous. No one knows exactly what it is. I believe, and I can't prove this, of course, that we at the AACC clinic had the only trial ever that actually treated colic babies and not all excessively crying babies, because the because we worked so assiduously at trying to separate them out. Now, of course, that's a that's a thing to do because we want to know we're treating colic. But on yes. the other hand, all crying babies are coming to us, and so what we really need to do is effectively subgroup these children. And then there is one group, it's the smallest group of crybabies, but there is one group of highly, I call them sensitive souls who do not get better with the kind of musculoskeletal care that we are capable of giving children. And um, so we know that not all crying babies are going to recover with our care it's, I think that's about 16%. So about 74% have got a fighting chance at it. But until we get better at subgrouping, I will, I will be, I don't think in my lifetime, we will ever be able to say that chiropractic care is effective for infant colic. I don't think it should stop parents. And I don't think it will stop parents from coming because parents desperately need our help. And um, as long as we're capable and honest and don't over treat and we know that the treatment is safe and when it works it works
0: yeah
1: and when it doesn't well then we can send them on for other types of care
0: and that's it isn't it i think that that subgrouping that that where in the situation where the reason for for the child's uh, irritability and crying is coming from that musculoskeletal source, that surely must be the subgroup that we want to get our hands on. And uh, as you said, there are other reasons for crying babies and and those ones we probably won't be as successful as helping.
1: I think that's absolutely right. And It, it it felt difficult. It's been difficult for me to actually come to that conclusion, but I am now reasonably certain that we will not get to the point where uh, chiropractic is considered effective for infant colic. On the other hand, it's safe. That's the bottom line. And the effectiveness is inconsistent, but the safety is very consistent. And that's what's important. Because when you have a treatment, when parents, there's virtually no treatment that works. I would like to, I would actually like to do a study where we do chiropractic care and probiotics and see if we could put that together and make um, better results. Um, It's, you know, as you know, it's very difficult and expensive to do these studies.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, Now, I wanna move on, Uh, 30 or so years ago, you were, um, I I guess, a revolutionary and certainly a trailblazer in looking at um, patient rated outcomes um, with your uh, uh, trip over to to the UK. Uh, Clearly that's something that is very, very uh, popular today. Um, And I'm really interested in um, your 2019 study that looked at uh, maternal report of outcomes of chiropractic care for infants. Uh, can you please tell us a little bit about that study?
1: Uh, yes, well, it occurred to me, of course, that all all adults now are expected to report their uh, outcome when they see any clinician. It isn't just chiropractors, of course, but this has been patient reported outcomes have been widely used in chiropractic care. And it occurred to me that there was no reason we shouldn't use this with pediatric care because, after all, the only thing that matters is whether, in this case, what the parent says, whether the parent says they got better. Uh, All clinicians want their patients to get better, but we should not be the ones determining that they did. We should be able to get an objective response from the parent as to whether or not they have improved. And so it was time to um, adapt and create a reliable and valid instrument so that we could study infants with parent reported outcomes. And it took two and a half years to devise the instrument and to get the study going, but that is effectively what we did. And um, this is real world data. And this is what, you know, (laughs) this is really what the World Health Organization and the CDC and all the politicians are looking for is to see what the patient says or what the parent says. They don't really care what the doctor says. You know, it's like, you know, that old thing, the surgery was successful, but the patient died. I mean, that doesn't cut it anymore. It has to be effective care for the person using the care. And Absolutely. That's what study does.
0: So, you're, I mean, it's obviously very patient centered. Um, you're, you're asking these questions of the mother, are you? Or, or can it be the father who answers the questions as well?
1: Well, we, we stuck to the mother because there's excellent research that shows that the mother is very reliable and valid at reporting her infant's condition. Now, we think that the modern father can be equally as good. But it hasn't been studied and we weren't taking any chances as to whether or not, you know, we wanted a study that had validity. So we used the mother maternal reporting.
0: And this is looking at multiple issues, you know, feeding, sleeping, crying, um, their ability to lie in a supine sleep position and other things.
1: Yes, because we, of course, to start this, we had to do qualitative study and ask the mothers what they wanted from us. What You're did right. they want us to do? What were the problems their children were having? And they told us that, you know, they gave us the list. Um, and of course, if a baby can't sleep on their back, that is a public health issue because that is puts them at risk for sudden infant death syndrome. Yes. So yes. it was very important. And as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, this is the first study that's ever been done on, on a treatment that helps the baby to sleep in in a supine sup, sup, excuse me position when they were unable to previously.
0: So the the uh, tool that you used uh, for this study is that a tool that can be easily used? Do you think in in practice?
1: Oh yes, it's well. This we did use it in practice. In fact, our stud, the study of two thousand infants was done in. Uh, the AECC University Clinic, but also the RCC private clinics that signed on. And it's called the UKIC, the United Kingdom Infant Questionnaire. It's uh, re- valid and reliable. And then we turned it into the UCLIC, which was the United King- Kingdom Electronic. We took a little poetic license there, electronic <laughs> questionnaire, um, so that it could all be done online so right. that the... the the mother does it in her own privacy. There's nobody looking over her shoulder. Uh, we get, we think we can get the most absolutely accurate results that way. And it's, and of course, it's all tallied as soon as it gets submitted.
0: And is that something that's available for practitioners online? The the UKIC questionnaire.
1: Well, it isn't. It it can be available. I mean, I've gone around the world telling people to use it, and yes. um, I don't know that it's been that that I've been very successful at that, but it is available. It does belong to the AECC. It's free of charge. Um, there's no cost. I think probably our mistake is we didn't charge for it. I think if we charged for it, it would have been adopted. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. People would have seen more value in it if they have to pay for it, perhaps, but certainly there's no doubt that that's the the way of the future, both in you know adult care and, and clearly in pediatric care as well. Um, so one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about is a lot of the research into pediatrics um when it gets to the actual technique and how an adjustment is performed is is somewhat pragmatic in that it's left to the practitioner to decide what levels are adjusted and exactly how they're adjusted and that makes perfect sense because you're most likely to get the best clinical outcome rather than saying everyone's to adjust c1 on the right and do it in this way clearly with that would be inappropriate Uh, One of the challenges that comes from that is um, that we don't have a a really accurate description of, of the actual care. Obviously it's modified to be suitable for the presentation and age of the child. What's uh, how do you teach your researchers? And how do you, when you're uh, doing these research, what, how do you apply that technique? Are you able to just describe that?
1: Well, I I certainly work with the our clinicians who are treating the patients. We try to keep the care consistent. However, I think you are correct in that the chiropractor, we, Orly Marchand did some beautiful work on the amount of tension and force that can be used on each age group. And so we... Are very careful to stay with those. Fortunately, what we have, those research findings. And so we work with that and we teach the students or the clinicians who we're working with to work with those forces at that, at the at those levels. Of course, they have, they've got good skills. They can find the lesion, uh, they can find it and fix it. And there's no such thing as, you know, you know, colic response to C1 or, you know, there was all sorts of stuff like that. It isn't true. It's um, you just, you just assist in the musculoskeletal balancing of the child. And when you get there and a pediatrician said to me, I can't, she just said, she said, I cannot believe how much you've helped my child. And I said, well, I really didn't do anything and she said well actually because he is now so comfortable he sleeps better feeds better and his whole life is better it isn't just that you helped him stop crying it's that when a when a baby when one thing works better everything works better and she really taught me a lot by thinking well yeah you know I think that's true with all of us isn't it if Mm. our leg hurts (laughs) we don't feel good all over
0: (laughs) yes yep Um, I I want to talk a little bit about your book now, Evidence-Based Chiropractic Care for Infants. Is this something, I mean, I imagine um, it's something all chiropractors who are interested in pediatrics should have on their bookshelf. Is this for parents also?
1: No, not really. It's it's really a compendium of the research um, that suggests some you know what what is the evidence base for chiropractic care for infants and i wanted to put it together in a book in one place because i wanted and there's hundreds of references and i wanted chiropractors to have all the references there now they have my interpretation of the references but i would hope they wouldn't rely on my interpretation that they would actually go you know, look at the reference list and go back and find the original papers and read those and interpret them for themselves. And I think they can use those to talk to parents about what, because parents now are very interested in research, very interested. And uh, I've been told over and over that I need to write the book for parents and maybe someday I will. Hmm. <laughs>
0: Well, what you've written is uh, is definitely a great start, and I'm sure there'll be many people out there who'll be anxious to get their hands on that book. So Evidence-Based Chiropractic Care for Infants. It's uh, published in 2019, and just Google it. It comes straight up. I think it was DIMMICS uh, that uh, I saw was that were selling it uh, in Australia, or one of them at least. Um, any sort of parting thoughts, uh, Joyce, in terms of uh, advice for chiropractors wanting to get into the area of pediatrics and how we might... I guess, move forward. We've got this wonderful thing that seems to work with children. Um, We've got some countries who seem to be going forwards very well, uh, others not so. What do you think um, the profession needs to do to really elevate our standing in pediatrics?
1: Well, of course, we need to educate ourselves. Education is the key. If you're educated in each age group, then you'll feel comfortable and confident with them and you will do well. I don't suggest that chiropractors just say out of the air, oh, I think I'll do pediatrics because they must be like small adults because they're really not. And of course, there have been Delphi panels that have put together exactly the ways that we should approach children of each age group. And so apprising themselves of that, going to your seminars, Going, is is the way to do it and slowly but surely get comfortable with each age group
0: i think that's great advice um joyce thank you so much for your time uh today from uh, all the way over in uh, minneapolis and we're really excited that you'll be joining by video at uh, the uh Chiropractic Kids, uh, or Connecting Rather Kids Symposium, which is the 23rd to the 24th of July in Brisbane for chiropractors out there wanting to register. Just go to chiro.org.au and look up events. Uh, Joyce, thank you for your time today and for the great work you've done uh, for the profession over uh, a couple of decades now.
1: Oh, Thank you, you've been so kind and I'm really looking forward to the conference.
0: Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence, and I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.